Today we'll be discussing the life and career of legendary actress and comedian Betty White, and we'll be discussing electronic medical records. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. So many medical records in my in my laugh doctory. You know, it's it's tiring. It's so many so many records I have to deal with. Ugh, the worst electronics. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment and question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Betty White would have been a hundred years old on January seventeenth. So to commemorate this, we'll be going over her life and career. And we'll also be discussing the good and bad of electronic medical records, also called EMRs. But first, Ali, how's it going? It's going well. I, I needed a second to uh, digest your pronunciation of electronic. You pronounce it elect electronic. What, what did you say? How did you? <laughs> I know. Perfectly I, normal I, sounding. I, <laughs> it's perfectly normal sounding, but it was uh, just different. I don't. I don't even know, and that's why we call them EMRs, I guess. So I don't have to mention that. Before we get started, uh, your new show, Run the Burbs, which is out on CBC, CBC Gem, is is out now. It's out. To call it my show is a bit of a stretch. The people whose show it is will be on our show, and we will all get to meet them in person very soon. But it is a show that I'm on, and I'm super excited about it. came out, and the first thing I have to say for our non-Canadian listeners is, uh, I don't know. I don't know how you watch this yet, but I will be finding out uh, because that's what I keep getting messages about. How do I stream this in the U.S.? And obviously for Andrew Fung, who's the creator and the lead of the show, it's in his interests. It's his, he's inclined to find a way to get it to, uh, to U.S. viewers. And I'm pretty certain he's working very, very hard to make that happen. The show Andrew was on previously was Kim's Convenience, which was on Netflix. And no one would understand the power of a, a, a worldwide viewing audience uh, quite like Andrew. So I know he's working on that right now. I'm not sure, but, but Canada, if I can speak directly to Canadians for a minute, it's a really fun show and I, I hope you enjoy it. We really had a great time doing it. It's, um, it seems like a very basic concept, but the beauty of it is that simplicity and it's, it's a representation, uh, you know, diversity without being in your face. It's just, Normal, you know, almost, almost like you, Asif. Almost, almost no, normal. Almost normal. Right. Almost, yeah. except trying to say electronic. Did I say it properly there? Who knows? It, I, I don't know about properly. I just, it just sounded. It's a way. I it's would a way. not have thought it's there a, was. A, it's a way. It was a choice. It was a choice. I mean, getting lots of good reviews. Run the burbs is, if I may, <laughs> speak like Yoda. Yeah, Yoda, Yoda. The song, but right? the other thing is also, uh, you were on with the cast of Run the Burbs. You were on. Canadian Family Feud. I have to mention that because people kind of assume they're going to see like... It's called Family Feud Canada. Okay, sorry. It's not Canadian sorry. Family no. Feud. Don't try to diminish what we have going here in this country. Well, family Feud you Canada. know, some of our some of our, our, our friends commented that on Facebook that they're like, oh, I didn't actually know there was a Family Feud Canada, so it's good to know, hosted by Jerry D, correct? Correct. And uh, you guys were against another... <laughs> show that we've talked about on this show, Murdoch yeah. Mysteries, which again, right. you know, beloved Murdoch Mysteries, beloved by the 65 plus uh, contingent of Canadian uh, people. But also my also, people. But also a huge, 
uh, show uh, worldwide. So, in fact, if you guys could get the success worldwide of Murdoch Mysteries, I mean, it would be amazing for Run the Burbs, correct? Murdoch Mysteries, I think, is in its sixteenth year at this point. So, yes, correct, absolutely correct. No, it has a, it has a, you know, much like if if people know anything about Coronation Street, it's kind of one of those shows where. Yeah, you'll find people who have never watched an episode, and then you'll find people who are like, oh, if they take that off the air, uh, my family is going to go and uh, riot outside the CBC building and make sure it gets back on the air. And I think in Canada, everybody knows it exists. Whether you've watched the show or not, I've probably seen half an episode, but everybody knows it exists. And, and so, um, But how was Family Feud? Like, how was that whole experience? I would really – I would love to press that – button you know that button know. is very it's a buzzer it's a buzzer oh, okay I know. sorry <laughs> it can, you could call it a button you you have you you take your it was an electronic show. button it was it was and there's that slight delay between when you press it and when is the there yeah comes. there's a slight yeah. delay oh my gosh yeah. so it was uh, exciting to do it was a real trip you know having watched that show for the better part of my life uh, you know semi-regularly like family feuds one of those shows always on and then you introduce your children to it and the fact that it's not the american family feud is not a factor you're on that set mm-hmm. you're on that you know whatever if, if it's called a, a, a dais or dais mm-hmm. then you're on that podium jerry d is a phenomenal host of that show he's really in his wheelhouse you know as a guy who you know his comedy is really about like mocking yeah and and that sarcasm so he's really in his element he does a phenomenal job and it just it felt pretty wild to be on that set i don't get uh you know i think i've talked about this on this podcast i've said i I don't typically get starstruck but being on the set it was almost like meeting a celebrity the set itself i was like this is insane i can't believe this and that's happened one other time last year on a show, which I can't mention just yet, but uh, but but we'll be talking about it I, I know what show Ali is going to be talking about, and we're definitely going to be talking about this show. Yeah. Let me just say, my nerd senses are tingling uh, <laughs> with, with the announcement of Ali being on this show, but that will be in a couple months, I think. But just one more thing about Family Feud. There was a, you, you uh, put on your Instagram a uh, social media clip of you on it with one of the stars of Murdoch Mysteries. Arwen Humphrey. Was yeah. that chosen because, like, did you choose that? Because why are you the star of this clip? No, no. They send <laughs> they send you a number of clips, and you can choose any one. So Andrew would have chosen the one where he's being okay, spoken but... to by Jerry and introducing uh, all of us. There was another one which was, you know, I think Andrew was at the podium, and we were all cheering him on. And then for whatever reason, there was one where I was up there. And uh, as narcissistic as it may sound, I challenge anybody not to pick that one. I mean, it was, I was putting that on on my socials, you know, so it makes I sense it. that I get well, myself a- uh, What about that clip where you answered doctor versus comedian for one of the answers just to give us some free publicity? Is that going to be on there? No, that was good. That was, uh, that was edited out. That didn't make it, uh, unfortunately. That's on the cutting room floor, they said. What can you do? exactly what happened during the Great Herring War. (laughs) The Great Herring War? Yes, between the Lindstroms and the Johanssons. Oh, that Great Herring War. (laughs) 
the two families control the most fertile herring waters off the coast of Norway, so naturally it seemed like it would be in their best interest to band together. Oh boy, was that a mistake. You see, they couldn't agree on what to do with the herring. Oh, well, that's understandable. I mean, the possibilities are overwhelming. <laughs> exactly. The Johansons wanted to pickle the herring, and the Lindstroms wanted to train them for the circus. <laughs> Weren't they kind of hard to see riding on the elephants? <laughs> Oh, not that kind of circus. A herring circus. Sort of like SeaWorld. Uh -huh. Only smaller. <laughs> much, much smaller. <laughs> but bigger than a flea circus. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me, Rose, um... <laughs> did they ever shoot a herring out of a cannon? <laughs> But they shot him into a tree. After that, no other herring would do it. Oh. You're making this up. I am not. Okay, Ellie, so that clip was from The Golden Girls, one of the, you know, best sitcoms of all time. Such a great show. And it's, uh, I don't know if people have seen this clip online. I've seen it a few times. It's Betty White playing her character of Rose Nyland, uh, telling the story about the herring, the herring wars, and the, <laughs> and uh, what they want to do with the herrings. And it, and it has her co-stars uh, cracking up with her delivery. And... Uh, I think that I've seen that clip before in the show when I watched it years ago. And I've seen it also on like, you know, America's bloopers or the bloopers and practical jokes. Remember that there was a show about that? I don't, and so no. they would have like bloopers from different TV shows. And, and I think I've seen this, that clip as part of a blooper reel in the past, but it's such a good encapsulation of Betty White, which is I think why it was going around social media after she passed away because it just kind of like, says everything about her comic legacy, her timing, you know. And and you were pointing this out when we were talking about it before, how she keeps a straight face throughout the whole thing. Well, there's something very uh, kind of meta about it where not only is Betty White the actor keeping a straight face, but also her character mm -hmm. on that show, Rose, was sort of this you know, I, I don't know what the right word is, but, but people have used the word bimbo. Uh, she was, you know, she was a little bit airy, you know, and, and that's exactly what her character would sort of yeah, do. Yeah, she wouldn't right? laugh While at her own joke. Her friends yeah. are like, she wouldn't. And so she's so deep in character. It's such a commitment to the role. While her two friends and co-stars are just dying, uh, trying to keep themselves together. Well, I want to talk to you today because uh, Betty White, as it because we, we co-host a podcast together, and that's what we should do. Well, that's part of it. <laughs> it's more about Betty White, though. She was going to be a hundred years old on January seventeenth. In fact, I don't know if you saw this online, but People Magazine already had an issue prepared for her hundredth birthday, and it was going to come out around the time. Some interviews with her and her colleagues and things like that, and of course she passed away um, several weeks ago. And so I thought it would be good to just kind of commemorate her life and career and get your thoughts on her uh, as a comedic actress. So I guess, why don't we just talk about maybe when we each first encountered Betty White? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it really was, well, it, 
technically would have been the Mary Tyler Moore show because I did watch that show from time to time. Not enough. You know, my dad would watch it from time to time, but then, you know, MASH was on. Uh, Barney Miller as well. You know, these were my dad's shows. So occasionally, and you know, th- th- this is the era of one television. And if your dad, after a hard day of work and, uh, you know, being slightly hungover, needed to watch the television, then you were watching what your dad was watching. So I didn't watch that much Mary Tyler Moore. And I might have watched it when it came back in syndication. I don't think I really watched it in the 70s when it was on. And, and that show, you know, in, in my defense, Mary Tyler Moore herself, Ed Asner, Gavin McLeod, uh, Ted Knight mm-hmm. was a huge, yeah, Ted Knight was hilarious, huge character on that show. Valerie Harper, Cloris Leachman. I mean, these are really like heavyweights of comedy and sitcoms and, and actors. So, uh, for me, I guess Betty White didn't stand out as much. I, I'm sure she dominated every scene she was in, but I just didn't remember her, and I only reflected on it later that oh, you know, another show like that is Soap. You remember the oh, show? Oh yeah, Soap. Soap. You had tons of tons. Many of years on. later, I was like, what? Billy Crystal, who I love, was on that show. You know what I mean? I didn't realize who they were at the time. Yeah, Benson was a spinoff uh, uh, from Robert Guillaume uh, from Soap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, Betty White, uh, really, it was the Golden Girls. And and I'm almost embarrassed to say that in this past uh, few weeks after her death, I've been research- researching her and finding out so much more about her life that I, I didn't know and that I completely blown away by. Was it, did you remember her from something other than the Golden Girls? No, in fact, that's where I, I uh, saw her for the first time. I would always see reruns of the Mary Tyler Moore show, but it seemed mm-hmm. too adult for me. So I would like, it seemed more like a drama. I never, I don't think I've ever watched an episode. I just kind of assumed that it was like a more serious show, even though it was a half hour show, I think with a laugh track. So no, it was definitely the Golden Girls. I, I watched probably every episode of that show. My wife and my sister-in-law are two of the biggest fans of that show in existence mm. and uh, i don't think you know i think now the golden girls is now getting the the credit it should uh for being you know it's a funny show like the setups Dude, the, it's a the funny jokes show, but but look at the lay of the land too like why would two young brown boys mm-hmm. uh growing up in canada have a connection yeah, to a show about these retirees yeah. in, a, in this florida yeah, community know, why would we because of how good the writing and that ensemble yeah. was, right? It's really like that in itself. The fact that you and I would have watched, you watched every episode. I think I, you know, maybe I'm at like 70% or something, but enjoyed it every single time. It's like, a, what's the opposite of a searing indictment? It's the best kind of searing indictment about how good. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of things about the show. I think that the the casting, you know, you said B. Arthur, Room Clanahan, Estelle Getty, and Betty White, just perfect, great characters. And, you know, if you look and see where people went after this, people who worked on that show, I don't mean the actors and actresses, I mean, uh, uh, so Mark Cherry was a writer and producer. Uh, he then created Desperate Housewives afterwards, which was huge. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Mitchell Hurwitz was a writer on the show in the last two seasons. And Hurwitz My went man. on to create- My man. Arrested Development. Which, uh, you know, uh, I think we've been talking about uh, offline uh, that I'm re-watching it with my uh, older daughter. And that show is one of the best comedies ever made. Uh, we'll have to do a, do an episode about that. So, you know, a lot of people cut their teeth on the show, went on to success. So, yeah, it was definitely The Golden Girls where I first kind of saw Betty White. And then, and then it was funny, right? She kind of had this 
career resurgence after the Golden Girls, right? Various kind of like uh, successes after that as well. Yeah. In fact, today, uh, what we wanted to do was highlight two things each about Betty White's life. Two interesting facts about her and two plus two is four. That gives you four interesting facts in case you hadn't uh, done a deep dive on, on Betty's life after her passing. And, um, well, Asif, why don't you tell me something you, you came across in her life that you found, uh, interesting that you didn't know about. <laughs> I hope I can limit this down to just two interesting things. Okay. So one is, so she was you know, born on January 17th, 1922, and she was an only child. And uh, she kind of grew up mainly in Los Angeles. But what I found was very interesting about her is during World War II, she served in the American Women's Voluntary Service. So she drove what was called a PX truck and delivered uh, kind of like toiletry items, soap, toothpaste, and candy, which I don't, I mean, I guess you needed candy back then. It was a stressful time. And anything that brings you joy, it's the war for guns. And, and she would deliver this to the soldiers manning the gun uh, emplacements that the government had put in in the hills of Santa Monica, which I did not know that there were these gun emplacements oh there. And she, she was involved in, in doing that during World War II. As, as we all know, you know, a, lo a lot of men were conscripted. And so women had to fill the gaps for doing mm -hmm. duties like this. You know, we all know Rosie the Riveter and, and things like that about how much women contributed in the U.S. to the war effort. So she was involved with that. So that was one kind of interesting thing that I found out about her during World War II. Very, very cool. That's so funny that people are like, yeah, I live in Santa Monica now and Betty White would be like, oh, I, uh, I, I delivered supplies to men who thought they were going to die in the, um, in the hills of Santa Monica. Yeah. I mean, when you're born in 1922, my God, that's so long ago. What a life she's, I think one thing that I, uh, I found out about her and I was, uh, I was almost angry. Like, why are, why is everyone not talking about this? She had a, first of all, a television of her, sh of her own in the fifties. It was the Betty White show. It was named after herself. She produced it herself and she had, and there's a Washington post article, a very short Washington post article about this. And it, it, you know, her, her line live with it became very common because it was 1954 and she had this black tap dancer on named Arthur Duncan. And Arthur Duncan uh, credits Betty White with, 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 you know, launching his career. And she had Arthur Duncan on in 1954. And there was a huge backlash, particularly in the South. You have to remember 1954. That is the year that the Supreme Court was Brown versus the Board of Education, where they, the, the segregated schools were finally banned. I mean, that's. That's very early in civil rights. This is before the, the Montgomery bus boycott. That's before the Little Rock Nine by a couple of years. Little Rock Nine were when these nine black women went to the, to a, to a all girls or oh no, I think it was an all girls Catholic school. I say all girls because there are pictures of these white women so angry at these young black women at their school. Uh, just, you know, talk about pictures worth a thousand words. So this is before that. It's in 1954. And Betty White was, you know, a pioneer in that respect as well. And there were it, there were suggestions that the the show will be canceled. You can't have him on. And her response was, "You have to just live with it," you know. And fifty four is earlier, you know. It's like television is a is is a new medium. People are still really connected to uh, radio and 
for them to turn on their television and people to be like, is this what television is? We have to see black people on television now. She was like, yeah, she's, you know, part of ushering in uh, a new era. And um, people say that in the end, you know, that show did get, you know, in the next season, it was rescheduled in different time slots and eventually taken off the air. It's not clear if it's connected to that, um, that particular event of her having not only Arthur Duncan, but other black performers and guests, but, she was ready. She was willing to to make sure that it happened. She was willing to take that risk, and that's a that's a huge deal. And I, I like as I said, I was embarrassed that I didn't know about that. My other interesting fact, which I learned about her, and I think a lot of people may have known this beforehand, is that she was totally devoted to to animal related causes. She was an interview she had with TV God once where she said, you know, I'm the luckiest person in the world because my life is divided in absolute half, half animals and half show business. So 50% mm. of her life was devoted to this. And she says, I have to stay in show business to pay for all my animal work. <laughs> and so, uh, she supported a lot of causes. And, and I think it, it's, it's it just, it just seems like she was such a nice person. Big, uh, part of the Los Angeles Zoo Association. I believe there's an area of the zoo that's, that's, uh, dedicated to her. The Humane Society in America, Guide Dogs for the Blind. Uh, there's an Endangered Wolf Center, which uh, she was involved with. And she was also involved in therapeutic riding, uh, contributing to that. So she raised so much money for these uh, charities. And if you read any interviews, I'll, I'll link to one from CNN, which kind of goes through each of the main charities and what people from those charities say about her. I mean, she's considered a saint to these charities and really helped a lot of them uh, continue on and grow over time. So definitely want to shout out her uh, animal loving uh, nature. So another thing I found out about, uh, which a lot of people will know, she was on Saturday Night Live as a guest host in 2010. And her episode, the one she hosted, had the best ratings for a year and a half period. That in itself says a lot about Betty White, but you know, I was like, oh, was that, was that a low period for Saturday Night Live? You might know better than this, Asif, but I looked at that cast, Fred Armisen, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, Andy Samberg, Kristen Wiig, Jason Sudeikis, Keenan Thompson, obviously. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they weren't who we, you know, regard them as now and they weren't clicking, but it seems like the cast was great. Yeah, people tuned in for that. I remember watching that show and that episode, and everybody was excited about that, Betty White appearing on it, because it was actually as the product of a social media campaign, right? Like, people right. were talking about it, we want Betty White. It just, I don't know, it came up organically that people were just like, we want her to be on this. So, yeah, it was and great. And then Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Molly Shannon, Maya Rudolph, Rachel Dratch came back mm -hmm, for that to yeah. be part of it. That's, you know, that speaks to the the legacy and the comedic powerhouse uh, that that is uh, Betty White. And so, yeah, I mean, really just a, a great career, what sounds like an amazing person, and really, uh, as you talked about, involved with uh, civil rights, uh, animal rights. And, you know, she won, uh, I guess, or was awarded in 2014, the edition of the Guinness Book of World Records for that year. Because her television career had spanned seven decades, she was certified as the longest ever television career for a female entertainer. We, we, and again, she was active up until this past year. So really commendable for her. Yeah. And in fact, just to sort of wrap this up, Asif, you know, on New Year's Eve, I got a text from you. You're the first person who said, you know, Betty White died so sad. 
And I had the exact opposite reaction. I was like, no, man, come on. What a life well-lived. Like, I don't even think well-lived comes close to describing what, what this woman did. I mean, and I'm sure, you know, in the, in the, in the coming weeks, somebody will <laughs> come out with an article you know, in 1983, I brought her a coffee and she didn't say thank you. And I found her to be very mean. And, and that person's going to get punched in the throat. That's what Betty White is like, just nothing but accolades. Of course, there are people in the South who were around in the 50s who probably, you know, re don't remember her fondly because of the the move she made, but she's clearly somebody who's always been on the right side of history. She's always gotten work. Uh, she's always been celebrated and she's always ready to, uh, to perform and, and, you know, have a laugh with people. So, I mean, what more do you want out of life, you know? All right, Asif, we're going to start this off uh, with, a, with a quiz because I want to impress upon people why I care about uh, this subject, why I would be interested in talking to you about it. Mm -hmm. You sent me this uh, article in The New Yorker. It's a 2018 article in The New Yorker written by Atul Gawande, great writer, very, very interesting dude. And uh, you should get this quiz, but let me ask you this. So a team at the Mayo Clinic discovered that one of the strongest predictors of burnout among physicians is what? Uh, EMR use. Yeah. How much time an individual physician spent tied up during compu doing a computer documentation. So we've talked about burnout in the past on this show. Mm -hmm. And I think, look, I'm the everyday Joe here. And I think... People would be inclined, you know, hopefully not after the the pandemic, but people might be inclined to be like, oh, the poor doctors, you know, they make so much money and they complain about all this. And I, in case that's the, 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 the prevailing notion or that is a notion at all, I think this is an important thing to highlight. I don't think your career, and, and I speak for you know most doctors, I don't think you're having the career you thought you would be having when you signed up for this. And I think... When we talk, and, and, and also I think when EMR, when this electronic uh, system came out, I don't think its intentions were to burn anybody out, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as you would expect, it's, it's 2022, over 90% of hospitals, at least in the U.S., have been computerized. And, and, and it's been, you know, the, this, is a, this is a thing over the last decade, more and more computerization, and it's only made things more difficult. So I wanted to talk to you about what the, it's sort of giving us a lay of the land of what that means and why that is the case. Why is, you know, on paper, mm -hmm. on paper, on paper, this should be something that streamlines, that makes things more efficient, that makes you able to see if somebody comes from a different hospital, makes you able to see, you know, okay, this is what they're coming with. You know, I, I think of my mother and my father pulling out these papers from the wallet yeah. or the purse with these are all the conditions I have. Oh, it's all recorded. This is amazing. Why is it not amazing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, many reasons. I think well, let's go, uh, just go backtrack a sec. So that Atul Gawande article, I, I sent it to you because I, I was, I wanted you to read it. It was the type of thing that was sent around. Everybody read it in medicine back in 2018. I sent it around mm -hmm. to my colleagues at work and a lot of discussion was had about it. It's very well written and uh, I would suggest that you um, guys check it out. And so, and it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, is 
Am I practicing medicine the way I envisioned it? I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't think about the future a lot. I never really envisioned what it would be like practicing medicine. So, and it's not all doom and gloom. And so I think there's, there's good and there's bad to EMRs, just like there's good and bad to the practice of medicine. And I think saying that EMRs, these electronic medical records are the savior uh, uh, of medicine is, is way too bold of a statement, but also saying that they're horrible and useless, I think is probably also exaggerating a bit. And so I think there's good and bad. All right. So you want to start on the good? And end on the bad? Or <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll do whatever you want. So yeah, let, let's talk about maybe some of the good things about it. So some examples where it's good is communi- some communication between hospitals can be facilitated. So in North America, I think the, the stats show that at least 50% of patients in America are all in the same EMR, which is called EPIC. And that's what we use at our hospital. See, but right there, you're going glass half full which is wonderful. But when you say some, I also think of glass uh, half empty because that means 50% my dad was a guy yeah. who went, yeah, 50% aren't. And that's, that's an issue. I mean, my dad was a guy who had to go to, oh, it's his lungs. So he's in this hospital. Oh, it's his heart. We have to go to the cardiac unit in this hospital. And in the same city, I mean, what five minute drive from each other, the fact that two hospitals may not be able to communicate with each other and a man who is in or a woman who, you know, I'm talking about my dad, obviously a person who is in distress has to go through like, oh, I'm on this medication. I'm on this medication. And in this year I did this. I mean, it's, this is a huge, I mean, what what word do I use here? This is, this is a massive bummer. (laughs) Just Joe every day, Joe layman talk here. This is a huge bummer. Like it's not, it, it, it just shows you how much things are a business decision. Why should it be one, you know, cause Atul Gawande in this New Yorker article talks about this, this software called Epic. And if I go back to my software, my IT consulting days, this is a huge issue when softwares can't communicate with each other. So now everybody has to sign on to Epic or, you know, risk being uh, out of this network. And for whatever reason, some people don't. And of course, there'll be competing software. So uh, right away in your good, I find a bad. But please continue yeah, with your. And, um, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, I just don't think this communication is so important. You're right. We're already on to the bad before I got a chance to talk about the good. But it's. For example, banks, do you think they would have, if they're like, well, sorry, you know, you're trying to use your bank card or online banking to take, to transfer money from one bank and pay somebody who banks a different one? Do you think banks just shrug their shoulders and be like, sorry, you know, there's no way to do that. Can't transfer any money uh, if you're uh, from uh, one person using one banking to someone who uses another kind of bank? Of course they're not. Of course there's a way to do it. Because there's an incentive for them to do it. So people are going to argue, well, your healthcare is more complicated. And I'm like, I'm sure that that's true. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way sometimes. And that's kind of a common theme that you'll see. But sometimes there is a will. Again, I'm trying to be positive here for the good. So in Canada, our hospital was one of the first to adopt Epic, even though it was a huge player in the U.S., and your hospital is Chio. Yeah, Children's Hospital. Yeah, Children's, Ho- Children's Hospital, hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa. <laughs> and so we were one of the first people to adopt it. So then other hospitals kind of asked us for advice. And so the other major Children's Hospital in our province of Ontario, and, and again, medicine is provincially regulated in uh, Canada. So they were like, well, we want to do that too. So 
there was a really good idea from the leaders at both places to say, well, let's have a common electronic medical record. So now when I send patients to SickKids Hospital in Toronto, which is the, the, the other major children's hospital in our province, I can, I can communicate with them directly. I can see all of my, my patient who gets sent there. I can see all of their files and tests, and they can see everything that happened at CHEO. So there's no kind of back and forth, like, oh, can you fax me this uh, uh, report or whatever? They can see everything. So it's, it, that's very good. Again, that doesn't happen everywhere. And often you need to be on the same type of EMR. You need to all be on Epic in order to have this mm. back and forth. But at least it allows some communication. Yeah. I, I don't want to, uh, you know, dirty up uh, your rose-colored glasses here, but you did mention that it's provincially regulated healthcare. But sometimes, you know, if somebody lives in the province of Manitoba, let's say, and their child, let's say, has a very rare condition where there's a specialty, uh, you know, in, 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 in solving or dealing with in at SickKids, for example, in Toronto, is does that happen where a child from a different province Absolutely. might come to you? Absolutely. Okay. And you're, you know, we do have listeners in Manitoba. So Manitoba borders Ontario. And in fact, sure does. places in the very far north west of Ontario, so Kenora is the big one. Kenora, when they need to go to a major children's hospital, they go to Winnipeg. Manitoba. Right. Okay. So that happens all the time, where actually it's the reverse. Ontario patients going to Manitoba. And so, so it behooves you to have systems that can talk intra-provincially. Exactly. Well. Exactly. And I don't know if that's true, if that, that occurs for those patients. I'm going to guess it doesn't. But again, we have listeners in in uh, that in Manitoba who can let me know if that if that crosstalk occurs. So that's another good point, mm. right? Uh, or even if you're traveling, wouldn't it be amazing if you could just have your health card or whatever and tap it like you tap to pay for something at a store and all your health information is all on there? I mean, yeah. that, that's kind of – we'll talk to maybe that in a little bit about what would be nice to have. But in other words, other other good things, other good things. Again, I'm trying to be positive here. Keep that good train and, rolling. And, and listen, I'll uh, – you know, I'll, I can get more into this uh, in in, a, in, a, in another episode, maybe. But I'm pretty computer literate when it comes to using the EMR. Well, but this is the thing that Atul Gawande they spoke about too. That in general, doctors are very technology friendly, mm -hmm. right? Because medical technology mm -hmm. and the advances mm -hmm. in science and all that, you're at the forefront of it. You're seeing these advances. So that's the, that's the crazy part about the burnout in the medical community, because right. you are generally not, I mean, technologically, if not proficient, at least keen and enthusiastic about tech. Then, Unlike some of us who are like, oh God, what's this now? What's this change? This new what's update this? to iOS. Uh, yeah, you know. exactly. So, okay. So let's do a couple more positive things. <laughs> we can keep getting sidetracked to the negative things. But so what I do now, so say I get a consult for a patient. They're like, oh, Dr. Dojo, you've seen this patient before. Could you receive them for this? I'm like, that doesn't sound familiar. So I could just type in the search bar my last name and every instance of when I interact with this patient, I'm like, oh yeah, I did see them. So you don't have to like search line by line to try and find out that one time that I saw them. It's very efficient. Or uh, another thing, I'm like, okay, so I'm seeing this patient today. I, I want to start them on a new medicine, but they've been on so many. How will I find out if they've actually been on this one that I want to try? Just type it in the search bar, it comes up. I mean, 
searching for things. I mean, that's how I organize. That's how I search for things in my email. I don't have little folders with different emails like organized people do. I just yeah. <laughs> search. Oh, uh, you know, Ali sent me an email. What was that about? Just <laughs> search my Google uh, or my Gmail and find it. So, but I find that very efficient. It's very easy. I can be like, actually, no, I haven't seen this patient. It was my colleague, whatever. If I just type in neurology consultation note, I can find all the neurology mm -hmm. consultation notes. Another thing that's helpful is medication checks, but there is a con to this as well. So in other words, say I'm ordering something and it's uh, too high of a dose, an alert will come out that says, oh, you know, the maximum dose is usually this. You're ordering this. You know, are you sure you want to proceed? Or you, you're you duplicating a medication like they're already on this, but now you're ordering this. And so it kind of these alerts come out. So that's good. Uh, and in fact, if you look at, at, there's a systematic review on EMRs uh, and the benefits from 2021, and it looked and it found that um, documentation errors, so like medication dose errors, prescribing errors were reduced with EMR. So it is good. There is a bit of a downside to that, though, in that people get what's called alert fatigue. And this has been well described in the scientific literature where you keep getting these pop-ups. Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're doing this. You're doing this. And you just like ignore, 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 because half the time you don't really need to do these. And the same thing happens even on the ward with false alarms. You know what I mean? Like, as you know, when you've been in a hospital, you're often hooked up to a lot of uh, electrodes and sensors and things like that, but they malfunction all the time because, you know, the, the one that checks your oxygen saturation, which looks like a little band-aid, right? They put on your finger or your toe, you know, that comes loose and it beeps and then people get concerned and then, you know, uh, it's nothing. But all those alarms going off causes people to sometimes ignore them. It's a bit of a boy who cried wolf situation. And then what about when you actually need to be paying attention to those alerts or those alarms? That's another issue. But a, a, another good thing is there's in this systematic review, they say that waiting time for patients and outpatient clinics was reduced because of EMR use, which sounds people have asked interesting. Me this, so like the people in charge of IT at our, at our hospital have asked me, do I find it more efficient? And for a patient that I already know, like one that I've, I've seen many times, it's more efficient for me to uh, right, right, use right, the right. EMR because I it imports all the medications, everything that they're already on, my old diagnosis for the patient. I can just write an update, which is like maybe a paragraph in terms of what's been going on recently. Then write the plan for them, which is like a couple of lines, and then that's it, and then done. And a side note, just to pull back the curtain on Asif Doja, you do have the most bizarre slash grotesque handwriting of any human being that oh, I've ever I met. Mean, that's so the nobody other has advantage. to read your oh, handwriting. That's the other advantage. In fact, people don't even know anymore how bad my handwriting is. That's how yeah, good it is. Because, which is good. Yeah, because uh, it, it's really one of the worst uh, handwritings in the history of medicine. So uh, yeah, exactly. So legibility is not an issue anymore. So that that's good. Mm -hmm. And I actually find it for these patients who I've known for a while, it's pro I'm more efficient with my documentation, which might be why these waiting times are reduced. However, for a brand new patient, especially a new complicated one, it takes longer, you know, documenting. Are we are we ready to focus on the bad now? Are we uh, going into I the bad? So. I think so. I should say one more thing. There was a study which Atul Gawande talks about where they looked at Medicare patients admitted to hospital, and they found that as hospitals were more computerized, the 30-day death rates for those patients decreased. So there is some safety data and, again, reducing error data that suggests that EMRs are good. So I think those are kind of the main positives of EMRs.
Okay. I didn't know there was such a thing as a 30-day death rate. I didn't know you. <laughs> yeah, your, your, <laughs> yours is coming up soon. No, I'm just joking. Oh, God. It feels like it. After, after the holidays, I felt like I had a five-day. But I'm better now. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a good place. Good, good. Okay, let's let's take off those rose-colored glasses for for a few minutes now. And and one of the most sort of <laughs> one of the most again I'm going to use the word searing indictments in the negative way as it's meant to be used of uh, of EMRs was in this New Yorker article that we're, that we're referencing, where the author Dr. Gowande sought out another doctor. Okay, Dr. Sadugi. She's a She's a primary care physician, and she was known to be one of the a busiest and 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 b most efficient doctors. Okay, so she finds her out, and so she starts again, like you tried. She starts positive, and then as they're talking, and he could only find a time to talk to her on her commute. There was no way, you know, she's just that busy. So she says this, and I thought this was very very interesting. She starts very positive, and eventually she says, "Look." Ordering a mammogram used to be one click. Now I spend three extra clicks to put it in a diagnosis. When I do a pap smear, I have 11 clicks. The system says, oh, who did it? Why not by default think that I did it? And she, he says she was almost shouting now. I'm the one putting the order in. Why is it asking me what date if the patient is in the office today? When do you think this actually happened? It's incredible. You know, so he's her. She starts to unravel, which is what I was trying to get out of you. And I think we, you know, as you said, it was like a, I think so many doctors uh, and, and, you know, this Dr. Sadugi is one of the efficient ones, right? So I, I think that conversation really uh you know highlighted the frustration that you guys would have with this and then to, to to further nail home the point he talks about the fact that doctors at least around the time of this article 2018 and i don't know if it's changed you'll tell me have to do two hours of computer work for every one hour of patient time and that is where you know obviously that that, that burnout lies oh right? for sure and and that is 100 percent true so it, ex it extends your work day so what probably happens the reason why patients may wait less time with an emr is because people are just like well i don't have time to do this documentation now as i think we may have talked about in a previous episode what we used to do after i see a patient is do a dictation right like you pick up the phone you use a dictation machine or a recorder and you just and it goes voice to text no back in the day it would be transcribed by a transcriptionist you could oh. still do a, a voice to text most people use what's called dragon medical which is a, a voice to text software and it's quite good it's it's better than um it's probably as good as your iphone uh, not as good as the brutal one that comes with uh, windows mm. but you still have to edit it that's the problem right i can still dictate into it but there's still errors there's errors probably in every sentence but what what you were talking about comes down to the real problem with EMRs is that they were designed, especially Epic was designed in America. And in America, and listen, I'm not the first person to say this, and I'm certainly not, this isn't like a, a newsflash or anything like that. In America, the primary goal is to optimize billing and and make more money, right? Make dollar yeah, dollar right. bills, y'all. So yeah. the, the the some of the documentation that it forces you to do and check boxes and screens and everything that that physician was talking about in that uh, who was interviewed by Dr. Gowande, they want people to upcode, which is what it's called in the U.S. to maximize billing. And so you got to upcode more, get patients out, get new patients in, and then increase. Now, can you describe what upcoding means? That's not a term that the layperson. So would basically, know. again, I don't practice. 
in the U.S., and so our U.S. listeners could probably tell me a bit more. But basically, it's like, you know, if you could charge X amount for this, but actually you also did this test, and actually you spent 41 minutes with the patient, not 40 minutes, so you should actually do this. And, oh, did you do this type of exam on this patient? Did you say, did you do a pap smear? Because you could also get and that. that comes up in the yeah, form of and, alerts. And, you, and apparently, again, they're non-skippable. So it comes up, did you do this? Oh, no. Uh, and then so... I didn't do that or I did do that. And then it, it just forces you to do this, but it's all for the guise of billing. So what the documentation should be do, the primary thing should be for the patient. You should be optimizing information in a patient's chart to help the patient, right? But that's not what it's designed for. And in fact, because billing is less of an issue in Canada, we also have to reverse engineer the Epic to take out things. But it's tough when the software is designed for for billing to, to take all this out. I can imagine a situation where doctors do everything the old school way and then hire someone, you know, let's say it's a couple of hundred dollars a day to hire that person to transcribe and go into the system and enter everything. But you have your, you know, your mental health is spared at the end of the day. I don't know. I don't know if that's an option, but I can picture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those, they talk about this in the, in the Gowanda article, these scribes, right? Which is kind of what you're saying where yeah. the doctor just, talks to the patient and the scribe writes down everything that happens and they, they're trained a bit so they know how to format a note in a correct way. The doctor looks at it quickly, looks good, and then they do all that other stuff. But it's it's mm -hmm. it's crazy, right? Because the whole idea of EMRs is supposed to automate everything, but now you're introducing another human in it to get around yeah, the automation. So like it's just such yeah. a backwards way of thinking about it. But I'll, I'll give you a couple other examples. You mentioned time away of patient from uh, away from patients is a bad thing. Uh, the other thing that I want to let you know is that like the software is not intuitive. You know how when I'm texting you on uh, on my iPhone, it will you know guess words or <laughs> when you're on um, uh, or when you're writing something in Google Docs or Word, it will underline misspellings, and you can, now you can even like right click it and then it will it will do the the correct word. It doesn't do anything like that. In, in the EMR. I'm like, I don't understand. This is available in every single software, including the one on your phone, but no, it can't do that. It doesn't guess correct spellings. It doesn't do anything like that. You can do a, I gotta, I gotta tell the story. You, you got, you gotta, you could do a, a spell check, which is good, like the, you know, but not, doesn't underline things in real time. I guess it does to a certain extent, but uh, it doesn't do grammar or anything like that. For a while, our hospital is called Chio, right? As you had mentioned. Chia would show up as a as a as a as a, as a word it didn't understand, and it would suggest make suggestions. I'm like, are you serious? Like you couldn't even just do that one thing. You couldn't even do that one thing, Epic, and just put the name of our hospital as an actual word, not one that has to be correct. So it's not like in a, a you know word software where you can say ignore all no. or uh, add to no, dictionary. No, no. It's just, oh wow. And uh, you know what? Someone's gonna, probably going to be like, no, actually, ask if you can. Well, it's not obvious to me. And listen again. I know how computers work. If it's not obvious to me, it's probably not obvious to the average person. Uh, another thing that's super annoying, I just want to give you an idea of why people are so annoyed by this. So uh, one useful thing is when I'm seeing a patient, again, it, it will generate a sentence for me. It has it kind of set up that, to write a note. So it's like the following patient was seen today for the following issues, colon, right? Uh, not colon, like in your digestive tract, like the, the, the punctuation <laughs> colon. And then I can click on the one. So I can say epilepsy 
autism, and developmental delay. Okay, I can click all those things. But then when it shows up on my thing, it just lists them in the sentence, epilepsy, autism, developmental delay. I'm like, yeah, but that's not, you're trying to make it into a sentence. So you can't just list three things. You need to have commas in between them. And then, so, so you have to say epilepsy, autism, epilepsy, comma, autism, comma, and developmental delay, period. If you want to use an Oxford comma, which I am all about the Oxford commas. Uh, I don't yes. know how you feel about that, but but it, it doesn't do that. I'm like, it just lists them and I have to go in and edit them and put the commas in and the word and. I'm like, why mm. am I wasting? I mean, I know it's like five seconds. I can type relatively quickly, uh, even though, as we talked about before, mm. I did fail typing. Oh, no, 58% typing in, uh, in in high school. But anyway. I know that when you're sending me a text, you're not oh, going yeah. too quick. Oh, by the way, I only text using one hand. Like, <laughs> I don't use two thumbs like other people do. Okay. It's it's a problem. Anyway, listen, you're you're distracting me from my point, which is, this is a simple, sort, simple thing. Can't you just put commas and ands in here? And I asked the people who, who run Epic at our, our hospital, like, no, okay. I guess you can't do that, eh? And and this is uh and and the you know, I mean, well, I'll get to this in a minute. No, but is it no deal with it? A la Betty White, or is it no we're working on that? No, in something like that, it's deal with it. Sometimes they work on things and, and that you can do changes, which was take some time. Uh but but there are changes, but there's certain things like uh that they're just like, well, no, it can't do that. And that's why I was told for these commas and these ands. Mm. Uh, a couple other things. You think that this is okay, but still we're documenting in the chart. Isn't this good? But there's a lot of problems. So there's a lot of cutting and pasting that goes on in, in medical charts. So in other words, if, you know, someone just admitted a patient the other day, they asked me to consult on them. Some people would just copy the note from the admission and put it into their notes and the past without asking it themselves, which in some respects is good because you're not bothering the patient asking the same information, but there's lots of cut and paste in it. And in fact, there's a button you can press that removes everything that was cut and pasted in a given note. And it's a fun thing to do because you press it and like, there's like one line that was original and everything else was cut and pasted. But one of the problems with cutting and pasting is you could have what I call chart urban legends. Like, oh, this patient has epilepsy and everybody just keeps cutting and pasting they have epilepsy. And then I talked to the family, like, wait a minute, they don't have epilepsy. That was like uh, years ago and they're outgrown it. That's definitely not what they have. And then you, mm -hmm. and then it but just gets perpetrated like an urban legend in the chart because people just keep repeating right. it. And that's, it used to happen when we had handwritten charts. It's even worse with the cut and paste. So these are these are kind of some some of the issues and and getting back to what you were asking me before, you know, when I asked them, can you do this? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is we're working on it. But the the answer being no, we can't do that is just again. And I'm I'm simplifying computer science quite a bit, but that drives me up the wall. I'm like, you can't put in commas and ands. You know what we could do with computers, right? We could have uh, computer programs that can beat chess masters. We can have a rover on the planet Mars that sends back information to us. We can do a hologram of Tupac <laughs> at a concert uh, that looks realistic. And we can't put in commas and ands. Like, it's just not possible. So, uh, I don't know. It, th that is a bit uh, frustrating. Sorry, I should stop ranting here. That's hilarious. You hear us, Epic? Do you hear us right now? You know, one thing that, and I you, I know you've taken off the rose-colored glasses, but I do feel like, 
uh, as you're mentioning all these things, and we had talked about bias on this show uh, previously a number of times, so we devoted an, uh, an episode to bias. One good thing, potentially, I imagine, is when you have a, a computer system, a dumb system, now those biases that doctors might have because somebody comes from a certain you know, uh, ethnic background or socioeconomic background, that's all removed, right? Am I right? Or does that somehow get into no, the Well, it, it, you know, I, I get what you're saying, Ed. Like, there should be this higher level thinking that's going on that removes all this stuff. is all objective, but not necessarily. Yeah, I tried to be positive. Let's go. I mean, but I think, I think you know, you, you have some good points. And I think we should think about what is the potential for EMRs. The potential for mm. EMRs to do things like this to overcome bias, right? Like, you know, so I'm seeing a patient and, you know, it, it, it would say, you know, these are the blood pressure uh, normal values for someone who's, say, African-American versus someone who's Caucasian. And maybe it reminds you, okay, you need, you need to treat these patients maybe a bit differently because you want to make sure you're not in neglecting this blood pressure, which could be abnormal in this person, or maybe it would have some artificial intelligence built in there to kind of remind you of these different things to maybe steer you away from, from this. Or again, like as you're saying, it's ignoring the, the race of somebody because they can't see the person in front of you. You're just like, remember in all patients, you know, 50 years and older, uh, remember to order screening for colon cancer or something like that. Right. And then, so you're like, oh, I, maybe you, because of your bias, didn't think to order in this particular person, but it's reminding you. So that would be good. There's a few things it does does like that, but it could definitely be better because that's what we want, right? It's so dedicated. These these EMRs are so dedicated to patient documentation, but really for that billing purposes, not really in the best interest of the patient. But the, that's the pie in the sky, right? That's what it should be doing is looking at the symptoms you're entering, thinking about it, saying, well, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Obviously, it can't be just like type in your symptoms and come up with a diagnosis. That's like what people do on like WebMD. Like I have these symptoms, what do I have? And it, it ignores the art of medicine, the art of clinical reasoning, knowing like how you put everything together, but certainly could help you do these things. You know, what about reminding you about, oh, there's this guideline that suggests you should do this and this, you should do this. And as AI in, in medicine increases, then you'll have things more and more tailored to the specific patient, which is what we want, right? You, you, you want it, you want people to remember the generalities, but apply it to a specific patient, which is always what I tell our trainees when we're seeing an actual patient. Like, I know that this may be the most common cause of epilepsy in the world, but what about this person in front of you? What do they have? Because it may be different than what statistically is the most common thing, right? But there's there's a potential for 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 computers and AI to do that. I don't think we're anywhere close to that right now. But I think it's it's a good idea. And this way, if you have these plans developed for an individual patient, then when other people come on, they can see okay, the master overarching plan for this patient is this. This is how my specialty fits in with this. So I think there is a possibility of this. And there's a really good Harvard Business Review article which talks about these long term goals of of EMRs and how you maximize potential for those. I mean, do do most physicians feel like they're in the they're inside the growing pains of this? Uh, and, and not only that, but would you know companies like Epic tell you that hey, we're still trying to figure things out? 
And like, do you all collectively understand you're at the at an infancy of of of, of this? I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. I think I think the people who know about electronic medical records and the, the CIOs of hospitals, I think they do, and they can see where this is heading. But I don't think when you're on the ground, you have this 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 holistic viewpoint because it seems to take forever, and it's not encouraging when you're told, "No, we can't do that. No, we can't do that." I mean, one that we talked about scribes, but what they really want to do, and this is being. Uh, piloted, but I've only heard about this as kind of rumors and stuff like that, where you will be sitting with a patient and you press a button on your computer and it starts listening, just like Alexa listens to you, mm -hmm. which is suspicious. You know, Alexa, I mean, stop listening. But it listens to you, records everything, and then writes a note based on what you just your conversation with the patient. And and I definitely know that that technology is out there in a preliminary form, but it's not like, oh, we're going to get that in two years. Like there's nothing like that, but that's what you want, right? That's harnessing the power of technology to like basically write the note for you and do what these human scribes do for you, but all done by a computer. That would be the ideal. I mean, if that was the case, people would love it, right? You get to spend the whole time talking to the patient one-on-one, -on -one, then you turn around and your note is written. It would be amazing. But I think we're still far away from that. Again, if people have any other ideas, like this is going to come out next month and it's going to revolutionize medicine, let me know. But I haven't really heard that. And I mean, the other big thing, as we talked about before, is you need to be able to peep should have ownership of their own medical information, right? I shouldn't have to tell my parents, as you have to tell tell your parents, you know, make sure you write down every medicine you're on and the dose that you're on because you're going to have to explain that to the physician when you go to this hospital. It'll be different when you go to this other hospital. I shouldn't. You shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to have parents who have a, a child with very complicated needs with multiple diagnoses going through the whole story again and again from the beginning. And we are kind of getting there, you know, like now uh, when you get your blood drawn, I don't know if you go for blood tests, you go to blood drawn at your lab, most labs now have a way to send that information to different kinds of EMRs and just gets incorporated into your chart from your family doctor or at your hospital or things like that. So we are definitely getting there, but it's not, you, you want it to be seamless, right? Like you can go anywhere, as you said, anywhere uh, in, in say North America and, and, and your information would all be there. Yeah, also, because when you're relying on the memory of people, I know that, you know, quite an exercise for me to tell my doctor, yeah, many years ago, I was told that my liver was inflamed and he was like, when, when was that? I mean, what a me mental gymnastics involved in trying to remember what year that was. That's, it's crazy, right? You, you, th this does help. And memory is a fleeting thing. And memory is like, a, you know, sometimes we, as somebody who is surrounded by people who don't like to admit certain conditions they may have or downplay right, exactly, their conditions. Yeah. No, I, maybe I have five drinks a week and you're there rolling your eyes like, uh, you have more than five drinks a week. Or, yeah, you know, it, South Asians are very notorious for saying things like, oh, his sugar is a little high. No, his sugar is not high. He has full-blown diabetes. <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. You know, like I just talked to my aunt in Pakistan the other day. He said, oh, my sugar was a bit high. Like they still use terms. So... Medical records, like I see the value of like actual facts, medical facts being presented because when you rely on, you know, people's memory and people's, you know, own terminology, there's so much potential for uh, 
for a bad by, by the way do you know for for uh, i don't know if you know this but when we ask about i don't undo the, i don't do this that often because alcoholism is not that common in kids but um when you ask about something like alcohol intake you're supposed to like go way way overboard because if you say oh do you have like you know couple of drinks a day, people just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically you don't want to exclude the outliers. So in other words, if you ask how much you drink, you're like, you have like what, one or two, two fours, a two four is 24 case of beer in Canada. Okay. Um, you have one or two, two fours a day. Then they go, yeah, yeah, that's about right. You know, you just pick something insane. You know, you have like, you have like a couple 40 <laughs> ounces of, of, of liquor a day. Yeah. You know, you you don't ask. You have one or two drinks a day. You don't downplay it. You go something crazy because if they don't, they'd be like, "What are you talking about?" No, I have one one drink a, 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 or two a day. You know, that's it. So, right. uh, and yeah, it, they think the doctor is drunk just for asking a lot of people. <laughs> anyway, so that that's a bit of a um, digression there, but yeah, no, absolutely. Like the facts are, are what we want, and it would be amazing to travel it because, like I said. If I need to get that information that you're talking about, I have to like submit a request of information, fax it to a hospital. They have to look at that fax, then fax me back mm. all the pages of information. And then if I want that information into the chart, I have to upload that as a PDF into the patient's electronic medical record. I mean, just the amount of wasted time and manpower. The other thing, by the way, speaking of manpower, oh boy, I'm just really going on a rant here. My sister-in-law is, is a lawyer, extremely successful lawyer. And she's like, uh, yeah, I just asked her one day. I'm like, oh, you know, would you ever have to photocopy something for yourself? She's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's why we have administrative assistance for photocopying, for calling, for booking, for, for you know, writing up her briefs and stuff like that. She has paralegals and admin assistants and things like that. She's like, because that's not what we're paid for. We're paid to practice law. So other people are paid to do clerical work. That's what they should be doing. And if they ever saw her photocopying, they would be like, Stop that immediately. Go back right. to, 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 to billing and, and making millions of dollars for our law firm. I mean, they wouldn't really say that, but that's what she, she's right, replied. Right, 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 right. And whereas yeah, the idea would be like, do you not have enough work to do? Yeah. Whereas, just, yeah. you know, we spend all our time as physicians doing documentation, clerical work. Oh, you got to fill out this form. You got to fill out this form. You got to do this. It's all electronic when I say forms, but we spend all our time doing this, clicking here, clicking here, doing all this stuff. Anyway, my, my, my point in all this is, that I think physicians just wish they were treated like like lawyers were. And I'm not sure anybody who's ever said that in the history of medicine. We want to be like lawyers. What? No, but but you know, just to be valued for what we should be doing, which is treating, diagnosing patients, spending time with patients, explaining things to them, and less on this clerical side. And that I'm sure it's the vision of EMRs, but it's not the reality. Hmm. Well, I think it's a valuable conversation for us to have a, because, you know, we, we know we have a, a physician a demographic that listens to us and, you know, it's nice for people to feel seen and heard, but also I think everybody at some level is a patient, no matter what, mm -hmm, you're going to mm -hmm, be a patient true. for something. And I think when you go to a doctor's office, uh, you know, and you see the doctor sighing in front of you, you know, it's probably not about you. It's probably about that uh, exhaustive system that they have to, especially if you're a first time visitor to a doctor. So I think it's a good chat that, that maybe encourages a little patience with people, a little understanding of what's happening on both sides.
Okay, well, that's our show for today. I guess the main thing for you to plug, Ali, is Run the Burbs, right? Run the Burbs. It is on CBC television. You can check your local listings, but it's Wednesdays at 8.30. From what I understand, it's on CBC Gem as well. And as soon as I can find out how you get this outside of Canada, I'll let you know. We're very happy about the show, very proud of it feel like we have something you know wonderful in our hands and as i said i'm not by any means the creator but i was someone who was brought in for a couple of episodes and wound up being on uh, eight or nine episodes in the end and just having the best time and uh very grateful to andrew and, and very proud of him for all the work he's done on this show so run the burps check it out if you can and besides that doctor versus comedian Check it out if you can. We also had, I wanted to highlight this. A few of my friends had reached out and said, you know, in the new year, everybody's looking for direction. If not resolutions, they're like, you know, new podcasts or books to read, or, you know, everyone starts the year fresh with a, with a thirst for knowledge and experience. And, uh, you and I, I just want to highlight that episode we did about our top 2021, you know, it was music for you, books for me, and then TV shows and 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 films. Take a look at that if you are uh, if you have some downtime, if you are stressed because your kids are back home for virtual school and you need some some release. Uh, Asif and I um, have some great thoughtful suggestions. I'll say they're thoughtful. Yeah, and you know, if people are asking you for recommendations on what to listen to in the new year. Doctor versus comedian, us, and us, as right. I always mention, reach out to us on social media, Doctor V Comedian on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're everywhere. We're on YouTube, Doctor V Comedian at gmail dot com. You can send us an email and let us know. We've had good interaction with listeners. Some people asking for some uh, topics, which will be coming up in the new year for sure. And so, just let us know. We're very accommodating for for topics if there's something you guys are interested in. And remember to rate and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts, and particularly particularly on Spotify. Spotify has rankings now. I think the word on the podcast street, there's a podcast street, by the way, Ellie, is that you need about a hundred ratings on that to kind of like move up the ranks. So uh, if you guys okay. are on Spotify, yeah. even if you if don't you listen, like this show, help us move the needle. And you know what? Even if you don't listen to us on Spotify, just go to Spotify. Most people have a Spotify counter login. Even if you listen mm-hmm. to your podcast on something else, just go there, do a quick rating. It would really help us out. And Remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. R.I.P. Betty White. Bye. Thank you for being a friend. Travel.